This show is sponsored by Qualcomm. They're part of the daily lives of billions of people around the world. They may not be the name you think of when you think of smartphones, but they invented all the stuff smartphones rely on to be so smart. Essentially, Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash weinvent. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the star of the new TV show, Law & Order, Creepy VCs on Sand Hill Road, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or just visit recode.net slash podcast for more. Today in the red chair, we have two fantastic guests, Erica Baker and Sarah Kunst. Erica has been on this show before. She's an engineer and a diversity advocate who spent nine years at Google and two at Slack and recently joined Kickstarter as its director of engineering. And Sarah is the founder and CEO of fitness startup ProDay, as well as a board member at Venture for America. For the next hour or so, we're going to focus on the recent explosion in the stories of sexual harassment and other issues around diversity in Silicon Valley, the publicity around which has led many investors and others to step down. Erica and Sarah, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks, Thanks Kara. Thanks glad to be coming. here. I'm glad you're here, too. Um, now, Erica, I'm going to start with you. You have been on the show before, and we talked about a wide range of things yeah. uh, when you were here. And a lot of what you talked about, I listened to it uh, two nights ago, is sort of come to pass. Talk a little bit about, our discussion was about diversity, lack of diversity, the ecosystem being sort of damaged here mm-hmm. in the Valley. Right. Given all this stuff that's happened since then, largely around gender, but mm-hmm. it's it's the same thing as far as I can tell. Talk a little bit about how you look at the ecosystem now and what's happening. Well, I feel like our ecosystem right now is um, built on the idea of brilliant jerks, right? Mm-hmm. We have this idea in the Valley that money is over everything, right? And so as long as you're making money, you can behave however you want to behave, right? And we see that in the VCs um, harassing women. We see that in uh, industry leaders um, just being cruel and bullies to people Mm -hmm. in their organizations. You know, we see Travis and and the different people at Uber, you know, um, behaving poorly and treating their their staff poorly because as long as they are viewed to be making money, anything goes. Right. And I feel like that idea has permeated the Valley. I'm not sure if it started with VCs or started with um, founders and VCs just kind of went along with it. Mm-hmm. Enabling them. Yeah, enabling it, essentially. And I, I think that um, we need to get rid of that idea if we're going to see any real change. So you were, at the time we talked, you know, you, you've been someone who's been, I wouldn't say cynical, it's not the right word. It's, it's just like you're, you're realistic. like, ugh, realistic, yeah, realistic, realistic about it. When, when we were talking last time, you talked about this issue and how it was met by a lot of hostility of what you were trying to do, which mm-hmm. was trying to show transparency and clarity right. to a situation. Right. Do you feel like the recent series of events has changed that or is it just nobody's shutting up now or how do you look at it? I think uh, it's a combination of both. I think that because people are speaking up, people like Sarah, um, people like Susan Fowler, um, all the people who are speaking up against the VCs right now, uh, I think that it's hard to ignore, right? Mm-hmm. Like when there's just me or there's just Tracy or there's just Julie. Tracy Chow. Yeah, Tracy Chow or Julie Horbath um, just 
you know, telling our stories, people are able to say, oh, well, that's just a one off. Mm -hmm. You know, she's just an exception. That's not the rule. And as we see like this wave or this avalanche really of people coming forward and saying, no, that happened to me, too. It's hard for people to ignore. And so now people are starting to pay attention like, oh, maybe there is a problem here. Um, This problem that, you know, we've all been talking about Mm -hmm. for years. People are now starting to pay attention to. Right. All right, Sarah, you actually, before we, we're going to back up a little bit, I want to talk about your background. You are an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. How long, can you give me your history of your entrepreneurship? Yeah. So, you know, I started my career in New York and I uh, spent about a year in the corporate world and ran away from that and went to the digital media side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been at really small startups, venture backed, um, went into venture capital myself, was a venture capital uh, sort of junior investor um, and have done a ton of uh, philanthropy and activism around getting uh, more diversity into tech. So I've worked Mm -hmm. closely with Jesse Jackson on on his efforts in Silicon Valley. Um, And then about a year and a half ago, I started Pro Day, Mm -hmm. um, which is my sports media company, and it's it's venture capital backed as well. Um, And then on the other very... Can you tell you what Pro Day does? Yeah, so Pro Day is a sports media company. Um, We focus on what athletes do sort of off the field. So fitness, nutrition, style, culture, politics, um, you know, everything from Colin Cap Kaepernick's hair to Tom Brady's meal plans, right? Wow. What what okay. these guys are doing off the field and women are doing off the field. Um, so you're trying to show like this is what success works. Success exactly. Works. It's it's you know it's celebrity news coverage for mm-hmm. athletes, um, right. the same way that that we see so much of it for celebrities. Right. Okay. All right. So go ahead. So. Yeah. And and so you know now I, I run that. I'm the founder and CEO. We're very early stage. We've raised a little bit of money um, from some great people, including the LA Dodgers. And then on the extreme other end of it, um, I actually just uh, was named, we just announced that I was named to um, Michigan State University, where, where I went to college, um, to their foundation board, which mm-hmm. sits alongside their endowment board. Um, and so we we make uh, limited partner LP investments right. into venture capital funds. And right. so as all this other stuff is going on, it's interesting now you've to got now... the purse strings. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I now have some, some, control. Some, some control. Some of them. Some, some of them. So when you start off an entre- as an entrepreneur, you were in corporate America and you mm-hmm. wanted to be an entrepreneur. How did you think about that when you were doing it? Because the photos of entrepreneurs don't look like you. You know what's so funny? I actually started just reading. I was working at Chanel. I was working in marketing and fragrance marketing. And so sort of the top thing you can dream of if you want to work in right. kind of luxury or fashion. And I realized really quickly that when you're just calling customs to get perfume off a boat, it doesn't matter if it's perfume or what it right. is. Um, although the discounts were great because it was 2008 and the economy was crashing. Um, but what I really found was that I was drawn to innovation. And mm-hmm. so I had worked at, for Apple in college um, as a campus representative. Um, and I'd seen some of my friends that I had worked for go on to Silicon Valley. And I'd you know worked under Dave Morin, who did slow ventures and were been at Facebook um, and, and knew Britt Morin, um, who does Brit & Co. So I'd seen those trajectories and I found them really fascinating. Um, and it never really occurred to me that somebody should look like me because mm-hmm. nobody really looked like me in fashion or right. anywhere else that I had been. And I'm, you know, I'm adopted. My parents are white. I was sort of used to being the only, which mm-hmm. might have given me a, a lack of, of awareness of weight, unlike some of the other situations you've been in, they don't really want you here. Mm-hmm. So I just sort of dove in. Right. And Erica, talk a little bit about your, we've gone, you've talked about it on the show, but give a brief bio of Erica. Let's see if I can make this short. Um, I sort of got into tech when I was uh, into computers when I was a little kid. My mom mm-hmm. would pop me in front of her computer uh, when she was working um, at her job. Uh, she was in the Air Force, and I would get, get to play with, like, uh, this was back when computers were just, like, the black and green screens. Right. Um, and so I get to play with that. 
Um, and then we got a computer at home and I played more, you know, Oregon Trail, Carmen San Diego, the same stuff. Um, learned about HyperCard in fifth grade, kind of got addicted at that point. And I was like, oh, I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just continued messing Can with computers. what you liked about it? I asked everybody, what, what was it? Uh, I don't know. It was just like... I, I'm a very logical and analytical person, and mm-hmm. the way computers work then and now is very logic and uh, analysis based, I guess. And so mm-hmm. it was very fun for me. You know, I, I'd do a thing, and a thing would happen, and right. it was like repeatable, and and it felt good, I guess. Um, but and also, you know, it was a fun game to play. I like Carmen San, San Diego because I was a nerd and I mm-hmm. like to play education games. Still mm-hmm. am. Um, and so. Uh, in high school, I started um, messing around with the computers uh, in my computer lab. Uh, my teacher, Miss Londo, um, knew that I was, I kind of knew all the stuff they were teaching kids already, and so mm-hmm. she would just make me her assistant in the class. <laughs> That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I'd help people, and then when people were like doing the basic assignments, I'd be poking around, like right. doing stuff I probably should have been doing, and uh, got uh, into uh, Rainbow Books. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember those back in the days of no. freaking and hacking, the early days. Um, phone freaking, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have gone down a path yeah, towards hacking. that. Yeah, but uh, I got in trouble um, because I had all that stuff on my computer. And they thought I'd hacked the principal's computer. Oh, yeah. Right. So I, I did not go that path. I instead yeah. went the, the white path. I saw hat. that movie, War Games. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I went the white hat path and uh, just continued from there, you know, as a CS major for a little bit in college and then uh, switched to IT administration and then got hired at the University of Alaska doing systems administration when I was 21. Mm-hmm. And that's been my com- career, that was the beginning. I went from there to Home Depot's network operations to a company called Scientific Games, then to Google for nine years and the Slack and just been all over tech doing anything from support to engineering. And what was your goal when you were doing it? You just wanted to be working in, in the I just IT wanted to space. work on computers. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember very vividly there was a point when I was a kid where I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. Because mm-hmm. I was, you know, again, the logic yeah. part of my brain. Yeah, I, I was like, I can, yeah, I'm going to be a lawyer. And then I got to computers. I was like, oh, I've got to do something with computers. I don't know what it's going to be. I didn't know what like right. CS was at that time. But I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on computers. And so about high school, uh, senior year, when I started taking a, a pre-school programming class, programming calculators of all things. Um, I was like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a programmer. So did anything hold you back? Did you feel that there was, again, with the visuals? Because a lot of, you know, I made a joke about war games, but that was the visual yeah. of, of an entrepreneur or a, a hacker or a computer person. You know what, I didn't feel held back in any way until I got to college. Mm-hmm. Until my freshman year of college at University of Miami, I will not forget um, my professor, was just not having it. He was just like, very much like, what are you doing here? Not having it. Yeah, just like, like, why why are you here? And Mm -hmm. just like kind of ignored me, like pushed me off to the side. Um, And and I was like one of two black people in like this giant- um, CS class. CS class, right. right. And like the other person was a guy and he was on the football team and you know, he he could get UM football. You can kind of do whatever you want Mm -hmm. (laughs) in class and you're gonna pass anyway. and that's not to say he wasn't dedicated because he was, but you know, we were kind of like the the outcasts. And mm-hmm. I had never felt othered or any more, any more different until that point. And I was like, oh crap, this is this doesn't Problem. feel good. Yeah, I don't right. I don't want to feel like this. Right. And so I was just like, yeah, this is not for me. And so I went back to Alaska and I started I switched back to doing um, uh, information technology stuff, and I did that and got a job. 
Right. But yeah. so you, when you talk about the other, I want to talk about that. So Sarah, you then shifted to become an entrepreneur and mm-hmm. you were looking for investments, but you were investor first, mm-hmm. right? Why did you do that? Completely random. I was at a startup and we were running out of money. And so I started what talking. What startup was that? Uh, I was at a startup called Emporia. It mm-hmm. had been, um, I was not one of the founders. The founders were three um, Russian and Australian guys uh, with computer science, uh, masters in computer science from Stanford. So they raised a bunch of money to fix fashion. Mm-hmm. And then, God. <laughs> you know, they got a year down the road and they're like, we haven't really built anything. Why do they even think about this? Right. Well, it's a great way to meet models. So, right. uh, you know, they, yep. they got kind of a year in and they burned through half the $1.2 million they'd raised from Mm -hmm. all the people you raise money from when you have that profile and had done YC. And then they met me at a Halloween party of all things that I was throwing. Um, And we started talking and I... I, You had the background. Yeah, I I knew. And I also just understood tech and I understood product. And I was just kind of talking, talking, talking to them about all these things that I'd been reading about, you know, from your -hmm. your old articles and and all these old VC posts that I would, would constantly read. And I just sort of already had that knowledge knowledge base. Mm-hmm. Um, so they said, hey, why don't you try a two-week, you know, kind of consult for us? And then that turned into a full-time job. And then when that company um, was was running out of money and winding down, I started talking to, you know, some venture capital investors that I had met or, or was getting introductions to to say, hey, what should we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them finally said, look, your company's going to, it's going to run out of money. It's going to fail. It just doesn't, you know, the founders seem like they want to move on and, and there's just not the fundamentals here to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe Maybe you can be helpful to us and maybe you can, you know, here, what do you think about these deals, right? What you right. just started sending me kind of companies and decks and I would send back like pages long emails about my thoughts. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize is they were seeing like, can this girl do diligence? Right. Um, and because I was in New York still at the time and I was talking to Silicon Sand Hill Road Funds, um, and they didn't have that access. Um, they didn't have the the relationships and the network and the deal flow. Um, they were interested in finding somebody in New York who could do retail and media investing. Right. And that happened to be what I knew how to do. Right, right. And so then you shifted yourself into an entrepreneur mm-hmm. status. Yeah, and then after I, you know, in, in I was... So I was there, and then they were kind of raising more money. They were struggling to raise more money, the fund was. So they, you know, sort of shifted things around in, in terms of, of their headcount, and a lot of the junior people, including myself, left. Um, and I was looking for a new venture capital job, which is when I uh, encountered 500 startups. But mm-hmm. after all of that, um, I got to this point where a fund in New York gave me an offer. I was 27. They gave me an offer to be a general partner. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, the most high profile fund, but it was a $50 million fund. They mm-hmm. let me be a general partner, nice guys. And I just wasn't excited about it. And I knew that that is the job that you're trying to get as mm-hmm. a venture capitalist. And I knew by that point how hard it was for women, how hard it was for minorities in a way, once I was out in Silicon Valley, that I'd never realized in New York, because New York I do find to be more female and and minority friendly. Um, and so once I realized all of that, and I was looking at this offer and I still wasn't excited, I was like, you know what, it's because my heart's not quite in being an investor full-time yet. I right. love helping founders, but what I really want to do right now is be a founder. Right, absolutely, when you see that. All right, I want to get into your, your individual stories of what happened to each of you. and what. But first I want to talk a little bit about, as we said, what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. What's happening right now. When you first talked about the other and you talked about being friendly, when you decided to be an entrepreneur, did you both of you have 
I don't, I hate to even say this, legitimate backgrounds to be able to do this. Like, it doesn't, it makes sense. And if you changed out your sex or your race, it would be, what? Of course, you yeah. can do it. So talk about why that is. Why do you, And then I want to get into the individual stories in the next section. What do you perceive has happened here, Sarah, first, in terms of why that is the case? Kara, did you just ask me to explain all of America <laughs> no, in no, the entire world's no. history? No, I just want to know that Silicon Valley. Well, yes, they were yes. slave traders. Yes, <laughs> I, get that. I, I read about that. No, what I mean is that what is the, what do you think is the is the problem here? Because one of the things that Silicon Valley is supposed to be about is this idea of innovation and openness and tolerance and all. The, these are the, the things they say. They're like, and Erica just gave the f- biggest face I've ever seen, the biggest, yeah, right, Kara's yeah. face. I want an overall thing, and I want to get into the specifics mm-hmm. of what happened, because I think both of them g- sort of get to the answer of what happens in these cases. I, I mean, I, I I don't, tech has never been something that, the the current age we live in, right, if, <laughs> if you start with kind of like the literal silicon uh, factory, silicon factories, like it's never been something that, people sought out women or minorities to be a part of. And maybe mm-hmm. at the beginning, um, it happened sort of organically, right? Who's in your dorm room? Um, sure. But but there was a there's a huge amount of comfort with mm-hmm. that. Um, and there's a huge amount, and, and there's almost a, um, pious isn't the right word, but there, there's almost a self-righteousness to it, right? Because they're nerds. They're not mean jocks, right? right? Like in banking yeah. or law, they're nerds. And so they can't be leaving people out because they were bullied once when they were 10, right? you know? And, and so That's a really good point. I, I think there's just a comfort level. Um, California is comfortable, right? And, mm-hmm. and people out here are pretty cool with being comfortable. And, and there's not this drive there's a, a drive for greatness to a certain point there's not a lot of introspection necessarily mm-hmm. or what am i doing wrong how am i part of the problem um there are a lot of guys who think well all i care about is building the best company mm-hmm. and so i need the smartest people and i'm not going to stop and self-examine why it is that all the smartest people look just like me okay. mm-hmm. so i use the term they it's a meritocracy not mm-hmm. a meritocracy right. yeah. you know i think which is interesting. And so getting to the overall, when you were talking about that point, one is they don't think of themselves that way. Right. And so I think, Erica, you and I have talked about this idea a lot, is that they don't, Wall Street people kind of know what they're like, right? right? right. They kind of are self-aware. Mm-hmm. What happens in the lack of self-awareness? Because one of the things you ran up in is we're nice people. What right. are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, and to Sarah's point, um, you know, nerds can't be mean, mm-hmm. right? We, we were, you know, I was a nerd and we, we were, you know, not included. And so we know how that feels. Except right. like Last and, picked a basketball, right. didn't go to the prom, that yep. kind of stuff. That, That's yeah. a Janicean song, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, people come here and they think, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be different. I'm gonna, or, or they think I get to be the, the big dog now mm-hmm. and I get to be the one doing the excluding. I get to feel special. You know, people in the tech industry have this idea that like being able to write code is like some magical thing mm-hmm. like you you're really special if you can write code and you right. it's not it's not it's just a skill right right but like there's yeah, this it's whole like carpentry to me right really we just happen to be like really in demand because it's a fairly new skill skill and like uh you know a couple decades down the road it's just going to be just like carpentry mm-hmm. right but right now like there is some idea that we're special and different and so people have kind of latched onto that and have used that to kind of exclude people right and mm-hmm. and because i think it's like when you grew up and did not feel special at all Right, having this thing that says you are you are special and you are valuable, yeah, and you're rich and you're worthy. Like you kind of like you you take that as part of your as part of your persona. Like this is who I am. I am special now because of this thing that I can do. And so you want to make sure that you know 
people are excluded because if everybody can do it, you're no longer special. Right. Right. That's that's just a theory I have about, you know, the way people in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley think. I think everybody should be in therapy, especially everybody <laughs> here to kind of deal with that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that what happened is that Silicon Valley happened to happened to explode in this sort of counterculture place in California. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so we it sort of got by default the whole we're liberal mm-hmm. and we think different and mm-hmm. like we don't act like the the way the rest of the world acts but in reality it's just the same it's as sarah said it's just like we'd be explaining the history of the united states everybody right. here you know well it's almost worse because it's like self-denying what's mm-hmm. occurring yeah. yeah that's that's what i was talking about totally. what yeah. what has happened here that's different and i think it is it's people who don't think they're like this behave right. exactly that way mm-hmm. which right. is harder to fight them you know it's you know you sort of you get someone like trump and he he is what he is like kind of thing and other people uh, here like i'm not like that i'm like but your behaviors are strikingly similar in many ways Mm -hmm. right and And they find a way to rationalize it away exactly the rational part when we get back i want to talk about your individual what happened here and a little bit about what's happening now Mm -hmm. um because it seems like something has occurred although I'm cynical like you, Erica. I think it's going to go right back. I'm a realist. Are you a realist? I'm sorry. Okay, I'm real cynical. Yeah. All right, when we get back, we'll talk more. We're here with Erica Baker and Sarah Kuntz talking about all kinds of issues, Silicon Valley, diversity, sexual harassment, and what has happened to this ecosystem that's created such problems. This show is brought to you by Qualcomm, the company that invented the fundamental technology in everything you love about your phone. From download speeds to stunning photos to GPS, none of it would work the way you count on without Qualcomm engineers getting there first. And now the company that changed everything with the smartphone is about to change everything else. Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone no matter what brand of phone it is. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. In the information age... Data is the new oil, which is why Amazon Web Services built Amazon Kinesis, a powerful new way to collect, process, and analyze streaming data so you can get timely insights and react quickly. Websites, mobile apps, IoT sensors, and the like can generate a huge amount of streaming data, sometimes terabytes an hour. If processed continually, all that data can help you learn about what your customers, products, and applications are doing right now and take actions in real time. Amazon Kinesis from AWS lets you do that easily for less. With Kinesis, you pay only for the resources you use. No minimums, no upfront commitments. Learn more at kinesis.aws. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week? Hey, Kara. It's actually Ed Lee here and for Peter. Uh, and we're talking to Tanya O'Connor, who's the Chief Revenue Officer of Univision. She had a lot to say about diversity, about being a woman in a male-dominated industry, and, uh, you know, what it's like to negotiate these big deals with the cable guys. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're here with entrepreneurs. Um, how do, I don't know how you explain to, describe yourself, but I describe you as entrepreneurs. Erica uh, Baker and Sarah Kunst, and we're talking about a range of issues. And we just talked a little bit about how they got to where they got. And now we're going to talk about what has happened recently. Mm-hmm. Why don't we start with you, Sarah? You talked openly using mm-hmm. your name mm-hmm. about an issue around sexual harassment. Can you talk about what happened? 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, when I was, a few years ago, I was looking for jobs in venture capital and right. approached um, Dave McClure at 500 Startups, who mm-hmm. I had known for a, a few years um, and had always heard from everybody, he's a great guy, he cares about mm-hmm. women, diversity, yep. minorities, whatever. So I started talking to him and said, hey, look, I'm looking for a new job. And he said, that's awesome. You know, we want to hire more women. We want to hire more, I think at the time they didn't have any, uh, black employees and they mm-hmm. had women but no black women but they obviously. had more than others been attempting and been very yeah, vocal yeah. about and, it and they'd been and they'd been funds. funding black people but they right. you know and so they said this is great this makes a lot of sense uh you know he said you'd be a great fit you come highly recommended um we were both going to be at a conference so he said let's talk more there um so we were at the conference you know uh, spending a lot of time together at the conference talking about uh, my investment philosophies the deals i was seeing what i thought about the ecosystem you know just a, an, an interview right, right. venture capital uh often takes months and months and months and many yeah, long it's, it's a relationship thing yes. right so and we you, were, you get social I, mm-hmm. I, what i'm trying to, a lot of people again between like well i socialize i'm like it's a social business absolutely you know what yeah. i mean so it's really that's what you do you get to know each other as yeah, people yeah at a huge you know tech conference with 50 other venture capital mm-hmm. investors mm-hmm. so uh you know dinner at the conference drinks after the conference at the conference official after party um you know having a great conversation um between he and i and, and other investor friends of ours uh i go back to my hotel and I wake up at 4 a.m. to messages from him saying that he can't control himself around me, he doesn't know if he wants to hire me or hit on that me. That was an astonishing text. Oh, I mean, you should see the rest. Uh, yeah. You know, he doesn't know if he I wants to hire me or hit to. on me and he doesn't, you know, and when I confronted him and I said, dude, you're married, you're old, you're disgusting, just hire <laughs> me, um, you know, he he kind of apologized a little bit and then I asked him flat out, well, have you said this, you know, to other to other?" you know, founders or women that work for you or with you. And he said, yeah, you know, probably, but I try not to, right? So the whole thing is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time... You know, you're, you got, the, the try not to thing is fascinating as if they need to be controlled. You know what I mean? Like exactly. they can't control yeah, themselves. Yeah, most, most people just so don't you, do So you said yeah. this, you were pretty clear right away yeah. from the beginning. Like Many women don't. Many yeah. women just sort of let it slide, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What prompted you to do it, to say that? Because again, I, I know you don't think yeah. that's unusual, but it is. I mean, it was almost just reflexive because mm-hmm. it was so, um, I, I think I was almost... I don't know. I mean, it was just reflexive. Like, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. is is literally just kind of the gut right. reaction? Right. And I just typed it. Um, and I'm I'm not always the most thoughtful before I speak. So mm-hmm. it was really just sort of the gut reaction was like, absolutely not. You're gross and old. Um, and and you know, part of of the the relationship that that we had been building and cultivating was that he liked that I was you know direct and straight to the sure. point. And and so right. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to give it to you straight like this is insane and obviously I don't want you to hit on me because I'm trying to to get you to hire me you know right um and and he clearly saw it and the interesting thing is I had spent plenty of time with him before this but I was always you know at one point I was working for a company that he'd invested in at another point I was um at a venture capital fund and he was friends with um the GP that I worked under so there was never any targeting of me Mm-hmm. Until I or was something in this you vulnerable wanted. situation, yeah, yeah, something where, you, where there, you wanted a job. Exactly, I wanted right. a job. There wasn't a super wealthy white dude that I, you know, was associated with who was going to come down on him if he tried to hit on me. Right. So all of a sudden, I was vulnerable, mm-hmm. and that's when you know he kind of attacked and, and pounced. And now that I know um, from 
a lot of other women Same about their experiences. That's his mo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, so when this happened, did you worry at all about retaliation? Did you worry about? No, because I I was super naive and I mm-hmm. thought he'd still. So it hire hadn't me. happened to you before. This had not occurred. It had not. No, I mean, of course, there are, are guys who are are sexist in mm-hmm. there. So I would say that there had been guys in tech who were sexist, right? right? Um, who would say stupid things, be like, "How you know? Why aren't you the secretary? Whatever it is." Um, right. and there so were there's guys, a continuum. There's yeah. remarks, yeah. right? And then it moves and, and then to and, the right. And then there are guys who are you know there's there's these guys. And then of course you know as a woman, right? You've been sexually harassed before, but I'd never been sexually harassed in a work context, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you're at some random bar and some guy you know b- brushes right. up against That's you. Un- Welcome sexual advances. Exactly, yeah. Right. And and so I'd never had somebody in a work setting um, sexual har- sexually harass me before. Mm-hmm. So it yes. was confusing. So you immediately did something about it, yeah. which was and and but it didn't help that you did something about it, correct? No, and, and, and in fact, you know, so Which I, is what they tell you to do. Speak exactly. Up, yeah. Right. Say something. So so I said something and and you know, he kind of walked it back a little bit and apologized a little bit and you know we continued to talk about the job interview stuff the next day I saw him again because this conference was still going on and he said oh you know you're a great fit we need to find the LP money so we can pay you but we definitely want to hire you you know go meet with these other people it's kind of a formality we're going to hire you Um, and then you know introduced me to the other people and the interview process sort of slowly stalled out Mm -hmm. But again, the interview process is slow, so it's hard to tell. And then after a few months, um, he called me one day and he said, hey, Sarah, we can't hire you. You're too aggressive. Uh, you wouldn't be a fit for the fund. When, when did you become aggressive? I, I guess when I wasn't into him being aggressive. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works. But you hadn't had any other encounters no. that would be... No. Not at all. Yeah. Not the would, way it works. Were you surprised by this? I know it sounds like a stupid question. Oh, yeah. Question. I was completely shocked. Yeah. I was completely shocked. Um, I think in a way you think... When people do something, you know how when you're like in school and like high school or something and you like band together with a couple other kids and you like skip school together, right? And it's sort of like mm-hmm. you're rebelling, but it's a bonding experience. Sure. I kind of felt like, okay, maybe Dave hitting on me was like obviously inappropriate and wrong, but maybe it's just something that he does is like to test people, right? Whoa. When they're first hired. Like, <laughs> it's I don't know. a terrible know. test. That's not I, a test. It is a terrible test, you know. but I don't know. You know, yeah. you, you, yeah. You, you try to think sure. about, because there aren't a lot of venture capital funds. There are also, it's also, there's a lot of pressure in the Valley, and we're seeing this play out now. There's a huge amount of whatever fund it is, right? Whether it's 500 or KPOR or whichever one that's like, this is, or, you know, uh, Forerunner, like whatever the woman fund or the minority fund, like go there, go there, go there. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge amount of kind of uh, funneling into, Mm -hmm. right? So when, whenever I go talk to an investor to this day and say, hey, I'm raising money, the first thing they say is, have you talked to this female investor? Have you talked to this black investor? Right. Right? As if you couldn't get yeah money Be- because this is yeah right. and they so people always push you in that direction so that was the other thing with five hundred is everyone was telling me oh you should go work there that'd be so great right. you'd be a perfect fit and so you're like so they didn't say go to Sequoia or go to Excel <laughs> nobody suggested I go to no, Sequoia or Excel or Kleiner or Andreessen right. or anything right. else right all right we're in a second we get to what happened mm-hmm. later and why you decided to speak out Erica. Now, you have had all kinds of issues around Silicon Valley, (laughs) but one of the things you did was, again, speaking out. You had issues around salary discrepancies, Mm -hmm. which are clear, Um, and Google's right now engaged in another lawsuit Mm -hmm. with the federal government. I think it's it's probably, I think it's a lawsuit. Talk a little bit about that. What prompted you, and briefly tell what happened there, and then, then you went to Slack and 
I want to hear about that experience. Um, so when I started speaking out about what was going on with me at Google, mm -hmm. honestly, it was really the beginning of a therapy experience for me, right? Mm -hmm. um, I had just started going to therapy, and I was like, I had to write everything that I was feeling, because that's mm -hmm. how I process what I was feeling. Sure. Um, and it, at some point in therapy, I realized that there, I was holding a lot inside about my experience at Google. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. I nine years. You were there a yeah, very long time. A long time. That's long like time. <laughs> Forever in tech. Yeah. Um, and I just started writing everything that I was feeling because I had to get it out. And then I decided, you know, I'm going to put this on Medium because I can't put this on my regular website because I know that there are people out there who are sort of the Google stalkers who are like, oh, anything to do with Google, we got to jump on it and publish mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, I'll put this on Medium because I don't want my site to go down because I don't have the bandwidth for it on my shared hosting plan. Um, <laughs> and You're so logical. <laughs> way my brain works um and I put it on a medium and I was just like okay here it is and I sent it to my friend Lewis Gray and I was like Lewis I wrote this thing and Lewis decided he was going to tweet it right <laughs> and then Lewis has a pretty big following yes yeah and it kind of got a lot of attention and it was just like me writing about everything like it was like I, I described this to people this way it was like I, I cut my hand open and I was bleeding or cut myself open and I was bleeding mm -hmm. all my feelings onto the page and that's mm -hmm. all it was um, and it wasn't intended to be like me being like this uh, super outspoken advocate or whatever. But right. after I wrote that, I got so many responses from people. And it was heartbreaking um, just to hear from everybody. It was like, yeah, I experienced that too. Right. Like I had this, you know, women of color, men of color, um, just so many, like any way they could get to me, they would get to me. I had messages on Facebook, messages mm -hmm. in my email, posts on comments on Medium, on my blog, my regular blog, like any way people would get to me, they just wanted to tell me that, that they had felt this too and they were grateful that I spoke up about it. Right, right. And at that point I was like, you know what, I can't not keep talking about sure. what's going on because somebody has to be the one to speak up. I had no idea. Like I knew that people were experience, experiencing harassment um, in the tech industry and exclusion, but I had no idea like how widespread it was. And like, it was just like, it was the norm instead of the exception. And right. that was heartbreaking. And I was like, I got to keep talking about this because this is not okay. So talk about that idea of trying to make you the exception rather than the norm, because yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. It's like that Erica Breaker, that troublemaker. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It goes, I think every woman I talk to that have spoken out, they get the troublemaker. Oh, yeah. They don't want it on them. They don't want that. It's like a stink almost, like yeah. you, the troublemaker. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely labeled the troublemaker. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know that my continued speaking out is considered to be a career limiting move mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's something that I feel like I have to do because a lot of people don't have the they don't have the following mm -hmm. for their voices to be heard and I can amplify for them if they choose to speak out but mostly they're just like I can't tell my story but this is my story and they want me to tell it for them right um, but yeah I definitely get the troublemaker label it's you know I kept speaking out at slack and I still had the troublemaker label there right and right. You know, I'll probably end up with it if I keep talking at Kickstarter, which right. I will. Right, yeah. which you will. Okay, yeah. get ready, Kickstarter. <laughs> so what does that do when you're in that, when you're speaking out? What do you? What is your goal? Do you have a goal or just feel like it needs to be transparent? I, my, number one is transparency. Number two is accountability, right? Mm -hmm. We have so many issues in the tech industry. And right now, like, diversity and inclusion is, like, sort of in everybody's trying to talk about it. And like, oh, right. look how much we care about it. Right. But they're not doing things that that hold themselves accountable for any right. of the things that are going on, right? And why is that? 
because accountability would force them to change. Right. It's like right now, just like saying, oh, we gave some money to right. whatever group right. and we just, you know, we put out these numbers and like we maybe went to a couple of HBCUs, right? It's like they have this, they have their PR story, but they don't have any real demonstrable, measurable change happening within their organizations, right? And so you see companies bringing in many, many people from different backgrounds. So they try to get to diversity. Diversity, but, but they, they forget inclusion. Right, right. They forget the inclusion yeah. part completely. And mm-hmm. it's like they don't do things to like make sure that people feel accepted, valued, Once they get supported. They don't grow the people. It's just like, oh, you're here now. So our numbers went up and now we're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's, we talked about that a little bit and I absolutely agree. I think yeah. one of the things is they don't, they get people there now, but mm-hmm. they don't keep them there. Right. Which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting really that both of you are leaving Silicon Valley and we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah. But the idea of inclusion, once it happens, mm-hmm. means they don't mean it in the first place. That, right. to me, is the, right. is the real thing. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a PR thing for many companies. It's mm-hmm. like, a, let's, let's see if we can move our numbers mm-hmm. for our next diver- diversity report. So what happens when you spoke up at both Slack and Google? What, what occurs for you? Um, at Google, not much happened that was good. I mean, it was sort of like a... Okay, well, you spoke up. Um, HR people decided they were going to do, like, investigate all my claims. And that was the most miserable process I've ever yeah, experienced in my life. Yeah, now they're paying attention to you, right? Yeah, they're paying attention. And also, they're like, well, we couldn't substantiate your claim. Like, no, mm-hmm. I did not write it down. My manager told me that I had to move to New York or I would continue to face the harassment I experienced in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Like, I did not write it down when... Uh, a certain senior executive came and told me I was, or assumed I was the admin assistant to my teammate. Mm-hmm. You know, I did not write all these things down, but they happened. And like having having that experience with HR was just like, I don't know why anybody would ever speak up because nobody thinks to write this stuff down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which is why I constantly tell people now, like if something right, happens, yeah. write it down. If right. someone says something off to you, follow up with an email. Like, mm-hmm. oh. I'm just checking to make sure I understood what you said correctly. And, and, and when they respond to say, yeah, that's what I said, yeah. you have it documented. Um, yeah. As Whitney Houston said, show me the receipts. Yeah, you've <laughs> got to keep those receipts. I, I wish I had known. I wish I had me so, to tell me that a long time ago. So, Sarah, you kept those receipts. You kept I the, keep impeccable keep, receipts. Okay, okay good. Uh, <laughs> when this happened, did you think about doing anything with it at the time? Or what was No, your, I mean, I was looking for a job. There was nothing you job. could do. Yeah, right. you're, you're looking for a job. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you know that the industry, it's also hard Um, when the same people who are harassing you are held up in the entire industry as so great. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And that there's this dichotomy there, right? Where he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yes. Don't hurt him. And not even don't hurt him, but like, oh, you must have misunderstood. That's just how he is. No. Yeah. Right. And and so there's there's that piece of it that is sort of a community an accidental community gaslighting right and I think um, that's a really good way of putting it I like that yeah and I think we've learned a little bit from you know the stuff that went down with the Catholic Church and you know mm-hmm. when you look at like the pedophile who's also the Boy Scout leader right mm-hmm. there you have to accept this sort of. Uh, doomsday scenario where the reason most people 90 percent of people are doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do 10 percent of people are doing the right thing because it gives them great cover because mm-hmm. when they really do the wrong thing right uh-huh. right 100 percent. i mean that, you know people are do compare it to pedophile priests i think i did and it was like oh pedophile priests are much more serious i said i'm not doing it on a sliding of course it is but yeah. at the same time it's the same thing it's the same kind of thing it's the same behavior it's the same gaslighting the same abuse of power um it's different victims and and yeah i mean it's it's maybe a slightly less vulnerable victim in Mm -hmm. in terms of life trajectory and whatever but um it's a lot of the same 
dictatorial behavior. Right. So you held on to this information, mm-hmm. and you didn't expect to do anything with it. What prompted you to talk about it? So initially, um, you know, it, it, it happened, and I was, you know, it, it sort of slowly, uh, for me, it was never super traumatic sexually because it was mm-hmm. just like messages just and like, irritating so gross and like oh yeah. whatever um but over time it was it had a huge impact on me professionally because I started to think wow if this guy that everybody says is the guy to help women and minorities and take them seriously won't take me seriously um is anybody else taking me seriously and, mm-hmm. and so it was hard for me professionally um started you know started my company time went on um and and then last november um in a facebook group for for female founders um somebody asked a, a young asian woman asked if she should pitch dave mcclure and mm-hmm. i said i commented and i said i would pitch maybe other people at 500 i wouldn't pitch davy sexually harass me Oh. um and so then christine sai his his co-founder at 500 startups kind of uh, heard about the message and, and came on to this message board and, and commented and said, well, you know, I've never heard anything like this. And I wow. don't you That's know, think Dave's ever had. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, in, in according to people at 500 who've publicly said on Twitter that they had alerted her, whatever. So she claimed she didn't know. So I said, okay, Christine. And Christine has my email, now right? You know. I said, message me. I'm happy to tell you about it. No mm-hmm. message. So then I finally messaged her. Mm-hmm. We talked about it. Um, she told me that, you know, I talked to Dave. He doesn't know what you're talking about. Uh, this doesn't sound like him. You know, pretty strongly implying, like, Sarah, yeah. you know, this didn't happen. It's the right? way to get you to go away. Mm-hmm. So then I responded back. Ten days go by, no response. So I, I messaged her again on this Facebook group. And I was like, hey, Christine, you know, I, you, why, I, is there a reason you're not responding to me? So then, of course, she responds again because when people are publicly called out, they tend to sure. do that. Um, so she Smart. messaged me again, and, and I showed her, you know, the screenshots. And literally, I have not heard. She, I, I told, showed her the screenshots. It showed on, you know, the little check mark mm-hmm. that she'd seen it. I have not heard from her since then. Since then. So what happened then? Then you? Then, I mean, then that was it. And then uh, the Justin Caldbeck stuff happened. The Uber stuff started happening. All this stuff started happening. Every reporter's digging. Um, a friend, uh, uh, Tracy Chow, actually uh, said, hey, you should talk to Katie Brenner at the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And I thought she just wanted general, you know, background, whatever, information about the, the stuff going on in tech. So she and I met up uh, just a few weeks ago. And she said, she, you know, said, hey, I heard that you have this story about Dave McClure. So I told her. And she said, okay, you know, I'm writing this larger piece. Can mm-hmm. I will you go on the record we have other people who have stories about him but don't want to go on the record i said okay sure completely just sort of probably underthinking it but mm-hmm. i felt good, good in the moment i, I was love like, that okay, great. Great. Let's, do let's do it yeah. yeah let's do it so um she reached out to 500 and they kind of gave her the runaround and you know finally got back to her with a, a statement and i gave her you know a statement as well and and then the piece went to print and i kind of thought it would just be a random anecdote that would get Mm-mm. sort of recorded in the annals of time and instead it turns out that you know, not only had he been doing this to other women, he'd been doing far worse. And just like Erica said, I started to get, you know, the phone calls of women hysterically crying, telling me about Mm -hmm. how he assaulted them. Um, The text messages, Facebook messages, Twitter messages, you know, everything. A lot of use of social media. A lot of use of social media. Um, You know, everybody coming to me saying, you know, he he harassed me, he assaulted me, he pressured me, he, you know, called me a stupid Jew, he called me a dirty Italian, like, oh just this insanity, of, and I was like, okay, wow, and right. and that's when I said, look, you know, I, I tweeted, I said, I think he needs to resign, um, Cheryl Yao was very brave, and she came forward about uh, Dave assaulting her, mm-hmm. um, 
and and you know he decided to resign not before he posted an incredibly uh snarky gaslight lighty uh Great fake one. apology to yeah. me um which has not stood up well under the test of time yeah. cheryl said it's actually what encouraged her to come forward so right. you know just a note out there for anybody who's going to have to be issuing these apologies uh stop <laughs> they don't always work the way you think they yeah, will. Stop. Um, and and so everybody started to come forward. He had to resign, and and you know, there's uh, there have been ramifications for 500 as well because it's pretty clear that a lot of people there, Elizabeth Yin's story, um, were aware of these behaviors. They were aware right. that he was sexually assaulting employees, that he was sexually harassing people like me, um, and they didn't do anything about it. Right. Talk about that idea, Erica, too, because it's it is true. It's the it's the people that know that mm-hmm. don't do anything too, because it's the enabling which we talked right, about earlier. Definitely, um, I feel like there's a lot of that in uh, in Silicon Valley where people know that like one of their employees is you know the jerk or has harassed people, mm-hmm. but because that person is uh, good at their job, executes well, writes good code, makes good deals you know, brings in a lot of money in some way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. everything they do is kind of like pushed aside, like, oh, you know, that's just him. We'll just move him to a different team. We'll just make sure that he doesn't have contact with women. Mm -hmm. I think I remember at some point, some VC just was not allowed to have contact with with, uh, Asian women because his co-founder his co-founder knew that he uh was I think harassing that was called them. back yeah, yeah he just couldn't meet with asian women alone. yeah he was not allowed to meet with asian women alone and so like it's just like oh we'll just move you away but we won't do anything that takes you like that harms you or mm-hmm. that it, there's no repercussions there are no repercussions no yeah. no serious con- consequences nothing has teeth and, and i think we're continuing to see that with like the pledge you know the decency pledge like right sign this thing to say you'll behave decently that has no teeth there are no right. there are no repercussions there are no accountability yc with their oh we'll just you know we'll do this blacklist that of was. people who can't come to mm-hmm. demo day and i you know i get it yc demo day is a big deal but it's not mm-hmm. that big a deal like right. <laughs> saying you know like yeah. saying people can't come to demo day is not like yeah. it's not harming anybody or it's not is there's no there's no consequence there um and so and and i want to be clear that i don't mean like harm like I mean like Mm -hmm. taking them away from this like you there are no consequences to their behavior and so they continue to do it right and so we we see that not only with the sexual harassment we see that with uh people being racist in the industry Mm -hmm. uh being ageist transphobic uh just all kinds of terrible things yeah the same it's yeah and 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 the people in power who continue to have power and continue to do these things without any you know consequence or repercussion will continue to do it over and over again and like you know there are people in the industry now who have the reputation of being like huge jerks still running tech companies right yeah. so many of them so many so many of them <laughs> so we're going to talk about uh repercussions next uh-huh. because i think it's really important to think about what are the solutions and i agree with you on the we'll talk about the decency pledge and the mm-hmm. list and everything else in a second but right now we're talking to sarah kunst and erica baker about issues in the silicon valley ecosystem and its massive dysfunction Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever have to send money internationally? If you do, you know it's expensive and time-consuming, and the exchange rate you get from your bank or provider can be terrible. Next time you have to make an international money transfer, you should use TransferWise. The exchange rate is incredibly good, so your money goes much further, and you pay only one small upfront fee. Setting up a payment is simple and fast. You know exactly what you'll pay upfront, and you get a real exchange rate with no markup. The two friends who founded TransferWise were immigrants from Estonia, and they were sick of getting ripped off when they sent money home. 
So they came up with a quicker, cheaper, and easier way to transfer money between countries. Then they realized this great idea could be a company. Today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money internationally. See how much you can save at TransferWise.com. You can download the app for Android or iOS. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer as in I need to transfer money to another country. Wise as in I'm going to do it the wise way. TransferWise.com. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. That's me. Hello, Hello, Lauren. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Really good. This is a great week we had. Every Friday, we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, what did we talk about this week? I'm so excited about this topic. Well, I thought we'd actually let our guests weigh in a little bit on what we discussed. We have Joelle Emerson and Ninian Wang here, and uh, we addressed a topic that I guess doesn't really fall into the realm of consumer tech in the way that we traditionally cover it, but it's a very important topic. Uh, Joelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we discussed? Yeah, we talked about the latest reports of sexism in the tech industry, how that relates to women's underrepresentation in tech, and strategies that leaders, tech companies, and really everyone in this industry can be engaging in to build a better, more inclusive tech sector. I was the first person to decide to go on the record to expose Justin Callback last month, a venture capitalist who had harassed many women. I did probably 100 hours of work before and after the article to make sure he was removed from position of power. Uh, So we talked about that and then my suggestions for solutions that are industry-wide to prevent harassment in the medium term and also in the long term. Absolutely, they're fantastic ideas and we want to get people to a a place where we can all be better. Yes, and and thank you to both for joining us. Absolutely, it was a great discussion. We hope you'll go listen to it. We think it's very important. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Erica and Sarah, Erica Baker and Sarah Kuntz, both entrepreneurs, talking about what's been going on in the Silicon Valley ecosystem and some of the stuff that's been unveiled. I don't think it's what's been going on recently. It's sort of, the, it seems to me, at the dead heart of it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've experienced is we wrote, for example, about one of the executives at Uber carrying around the um, medical file of a rape victim. Um, so th- many people knew about this. Mm-hmm. And when I found out, I was absolutely horrified. And I remember saying to several people who knew about it, you knew about it and you didn't do anything? Uh Well, I didn't think it was, I thought it was okay at the time, but now I see it's not. And I was like, what happened to you that you didn't see it at the time that it was, you know what I mean? It was interesting. And some people are like, how did you get so much information? I said, I think people were guilty that they did nothing at the time. And to me, the idea that you think that's even slightly okay, first of all, the person carrying it has got very serious psychological help, but the people around that heard about it and did nothing about it, to me, is interesting. And the same thing around, we published a a memo by Travis Kalanick around a party, I mean, an event, a a work event. I think there were nine HR violations in the first 10 words, something like that. Mm -hmm. Again, oh, it was funny. Oh, it was this. And And I was like, and trying to make me feel like I was you know, a martinet for being like, whoa, that's really inappropriate. Like, that's, I mean, it's fine if you're a frat brother, I suppose, but as CEO of a company, shouldn't be speaking this way to his employees. And so it's an interesting pushback. You were talking about gaslighting that you get. Um, and I think even today, when, when we start, I'm getting pushback now is, don't make this a witch hunt, Kara. Don't make this a shame fest. I'm like, what's wrong? By the way, it's interesting that you use the word witch hunt because witches were the women who were persecuted for being interesting. It's not a witch hunt if they're really witches. Right, though. exactly. <laughs> but and also, these are not witches. Like no. these are not. This is. It's really interesting that there is that pushback of, don't go after too many people. You should stop. I, I get it every day now, which is really, which I'm like, now I'm not going to stop. 
talk a little bit about the repercussions. So the decency pledge, what do both of you think about that? Uh, it boggles my mind that it doesn't directly call for hiring and funding more women. Mm -hmm. And I think without that, the rest of it, I don't know, maybe it's nice, maybe it's not. I honestly can't really be yeah. bothered to, to put a lot of emotional energy into something that doesn't think that I deserve money or a job. Right. That wouldn't do thing, Erica, obviously. I just don't think that anything that doesn't uh, have some measure of accountability attached to it is going to be meaningful in any sort of way. Right. Um, you can pledge all you want, but you're still going to continue to, you know, people are going to continue to do the behaviors if there's no consequence for it. The YC blacklist. I, I don't think it's bad. I mean, obviously you shouldn't be putting, one, it, there's there's a, a lot of this stuff is just flat out illegal. And there is a yeah question of culpability, either legal or civil or moral mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. or even just the ability to raise more money. Because if YC knows that this person is assaulting or sexually harassing women and then keeps allowing or encouraging women to go to them, there's a culpability question there. Sure. Right? So so CYA, right? Cover your ass. It's not a bad idea. Mm -hmm. um, does it go far enough? Maybe for YC it does. But a, a lot more of it is, hey, YC, maybe hire more women, maybe fund more women, maybe aggressively seek to root out the CEOs in your portfolio companies who are doing this mm -hmm. um, and, and take a stronger stance. I certainly don't think it's I don't think any of these things are inherently bad. I just think that if the people on Sand Hill Road are really sort of the new masters of the universe, the new king makers, right, and queen makers, um, and this is all they've got, like, that's pretty lame. Mm -hmm. What about you on the blacklist? Um, I think that the YC blacklist, I feel like they're coming, they're trying to do their best, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we see Sam. What do we do? Yeah, Sam is like, okay, I'm, we're going to do something, you know. But here's the thing. They took away the ability for people to report anonymously for mm -hmm. the blacklist, right? And so they're asking uh, people, and it's not just women, because men have experienced this sexual sure. harassment also, people of all genders, and um, they're asking them to use their name to basically have this small, tiny thing happen. This person can't go to demo day. Right. That just That's just it, right? Meanwhile, they have risked the, the, the chance that someone in YC will go back and tell whatever VC that, hey, that person put you on the blacklist. Right. And then that person gets blackballed. Or, right. it, you know, there's bigger consequence for them than there are right. than there is for the, the person who they reported. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that, you know, n not having access to Demo Day is like a, a big enough deal right. for people to take that risk. Like they're risking their livelihoods to speak up and... Right. In their reputation, right? Yeah. Because at this point, um, you know, I publicly sort of was a whistleblower with Dave. And, so and you had proof. You had a had physical. Proof, so it was hard proof, for someone which, to look away. Right. Exactly. What, what would, that would have been very different if you didn't. I don't, I don't know if the Times would have wanted to publish the they allegations wouldn't. as is, right? But, um, but because I did that publicly, and I think that this is why so many women are, are using the press on this and, and why I think people should consider using the press on this. Is, yeah, I'm just going to get to the press. Well, yeah, go ahead. Go right now, if, if, if 500, if you get a call from 500 that says, oh, why, I don't know, Sarah Koontz, I just don't really trust her, you, you kind of know what the deal is, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas before, when I quietly went to Christine, mm -hmm. um, if she had, you know, reached out to you and said that, you wouldn't have really had context, and it might have made you think, right. like, oh, that's 100%. weird. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I personally 
believe, as Rev Run says, right? Mm -hmm. Secrets make you sick, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that the more that you just expose it, suddenly it's the best disinfectant. The more that you expose these things in black and white when you can, it it takes away the opportunity for retaliation. There might be some behind the scenes retaliation, but it makes it a lot harder than when you have this whisper economy because we've had this whisper economy in Silicon Valley for basically the whole time it's been around and it has not helped us, right? It hasn't helped you, it hasn't helped me, it hasn't helped Erica. And so at this point, I I don't think that it's a bad idea to try turning the lights on full blast. And if all the cockroaches have to run back under the fridge, good. Erica, you talk about it. You were very vocal, it got in the press. um, yeah, I, I was very vocal, and it did get in the press, but um, because there wasn't the wave of people after me. Right. People were just like, oh, she's the one-off. Mm-hmm. She's, just, she's just an exception. Or, right. or she's just a whiner, mm-hmm. right? And, like, she, that's just normal. She, that's the thing that everybody deals with, you know? Right. Um, and so I, being vocal comes with a cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, eventually if more if more people keep speaking up, and using their voices and and you know turning the lights on, as Sarah said, um, I feel like we will maybe see some change. Right. The, because, like she said, the, the not speaking up publicly hasn't been helping us. Right. 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 The, like the back channels we have right now are helpful in in us knowing where not to go. So and being not like to trust. A, like a Facebook group that talks about that. One of the people that was uh, was named in, as being a possible harasser mm-hmm. called me and said, "I'm on this Facebook group, and I'm, I'm not telling you for one <laughs> and for two. W- they were doing a lot of investig more investigating about what was going on in the groups than actually changing their behavior. I said, "Why don't right. you change your behavior? How about that? Yeah, that might be good. You know, whether you're, you know, and I think what's interesting is a lot of the people who are being accused or have issues or have actual issues mm-hmm. are spending an enormous amount of time, one, trying to negate them, and two, trying to apologize in a very strange way. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk a little bit about those apologies. I mean, a lot of people are like, well, they apologize. And that's the first step to forgiving them, to letting it go away. Right. You know what I mean? I think the, PL, the apologies are, are PR moves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that... Uh, Knowing what, it, it, having the connections I have to people and, and hearing what happens in the back channel yeah. around those apologies, yeah. I, they, mm, I don't really believe in them. I think they're just PR moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best, uh, the best apology, uh, as that cliche says, is change behavior. Yeah. So change your behavior and, right. and stop writing about it. And in mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, the black community, we have a saying, don't talk, don't talk about it, be about it. So be right. about it change it right instead of just saying oh i'm so sorry you know apologize and then encourage your peers to stop behaving that way and i think what the one of the big problems um in the vc industry especially is that it's sort of a old boys network mm-hmm. um because there are so few women and people of color mm-hmm. uh we sort of see like oh you know this sort of enabling of the bad behavior or looking away like ah, ha, ha, that's just him he's just right. he's a, he's a bad boy right you know right. that sort right. of stuff and and you know there is a piece re- recently written in New York Times uh, about, will you stand up for me? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, will you be one of the guys to stand up for women and people of color when we're not in the room? Be that guy instead of writing an apology. Right, right, absolutely. How did you feel about the apology? It was to you, it was directed at you. But did he ever call you personally? No. That's um, astonishing. <laughs> that he didn't like call you himself. And just I mean, I think it makes sense if you are approaching sure. the world for the framework yeah. that you don't respect the people you're treating like this then why would you respect them enough to call them and apologize Mm -hmm. right um and and so no i mean 
Dave's apology to me, if it could be called that, right? You right. read it and it's just dripping with like, well, she was asking for it. Um, mm-hmm. And I wasn't. And, you know, we saw how that shook out. So mm-hmm. it is what it is. I think in general, um, write an apology, don't write an apology. I don't really care. I think that, that we need to move past taking it kind of full circle to this idea that Silicon Valley is a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. When you do these things, you lose the merit, quote unquote, right? right? Either because people believe it's morally wrong or because you're such a pain in the butt for your LPs and your portfolio companies. Can you imagine some poor fa- startup founder who's been you know, running around so excited that they have one of these funds on their cap table mm-hmm. and that's been their calling card, right? And sure. now they try to do that and everybody's like, yeah, there weren't, you know, so so if it's a meritocracy, sorry, guys, you proved your merit that you don't deserve to be here. Right. It doesn't mean that you get, you know, thrown in prison for the rest of your lives. But it does mean that maybe you have to go take a job that's not paying you six or seven figures a year to mm-hmm. work 40 weeks a year and go on permanent vacation. Like mm-hmm. it, nobody, life, liberty and the pursuit of a venture capital, you know, two mm-hmm. and 20 fee structure is mm-hmm. not pers- inscribed on the Statue of Liberty. Right, and and right. so. I don't care if they apologize. I think a lot of them, when you're not sorry until you get caught, you're not really sorry. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, and if they decide to change their lives from this, good, they should. Hopefully this is a low point for all of these guys, mm-hmm. even though um, you know they're lucky that the lowest point is that they get to take their millions and, and yeah. go lick their wounds. Um, yeah, that's... You know? Ironic, as they say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The, you you hear very little about the the uh, fundamental economics of their funds mm-hmm. shifting against them even after they've left. But you know, I, I don't care if they. I don't really read the apologies. They're gross. Mm-hmm. I think they're fascinating. I think I find them fascinating. Yeah. I, find I also don't watch profiles of serial killers. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's interesting about them? I think the, probably the Mark Cantor one was the strangest, but. Uh, that's this is clearly clearly not written by his crisis comms team. No, no, but still. <laughs> um, it, what's interesting about them is they have to be so the public beating of the chest. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, uh, the it's, arms. Just, it's really interesting that he didn't call you personally that, to me. Yeah, I mean, the, the other interesting thing about some of these is these guys are married, and I don't mm-hmm. care how sort of polyamorous whatever that we say that Silicon Valley is like mm-hmm. they act like this is just normal flirting that crossed the lines like no you are a married dude with kids who pursued women who were only approaching you in a business context mm-hmm. and you harassed or assaulted them like mm-hmm. none of that has anything in common with, with fun lifestyle no yeah I was no. talking to when I was talking to people about some Uber stuff, I, I, I don't believe I said this. I'm like, can't they just go in Nevada and hire some prostitutes? Can they just leave women to work alone? Yeah. Like, yeah. or something, or whatever. Just, like, or create their own personal world if they want to do that personally. It's very yeah. fake. But, of course, it's about power. Yeah, it's uh, definitely about power. And also, right. I was talking with someone recently about how Silicon Valley companies, especially, have been become very insular, right? Mm-hmm. And they make it so people don't leave. Right. Right. And so like where where is the social network for the people who spend all their time at work? Right. Right. They like Exactly. Why was there so much drinking at Uber or this right. or, or whatever? It's because this is where they make it's, their friends and right. this is where they have their social life. It's what's encouraged. Right. Right. And so like they're gonna they have to unwind some of that and stop making people make their lives about work. And right. that that scares VCs probably more than anything. Yeah, because they want them there. They want yeah. to keep them to be, you know, captive of their environments. So let's finish up by talking about what can work. I'd love to hear from both of you about what you think would be effective besides more press stories. Because after a while, people get tired of the uh-huh. press stories. You know what I mean? They don't they don't hear them. Yeah. Sort of like Donald Trump says another outrageous thing every day. And after fatigued. a while, you're like, you're fatigued. 
Um, so although I do think press does work, I think you're absolutely right. It does. It tends to make changes happen more. Or people tend to have to leave the companies. Talk about what you, each of you, what you think maybe three or four concrete things that could happen and have to happen. Or, or have you given up? Because you're both, you're moving to Los Angeles mm-hmm. and you look relieved. Mm-hmm. And you're moving to New York to work for Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Though you don't like New York, I I'm guessing like New York. you're relieved to leave this scene. Maybe yeah. perhaps you're not. Not relieved to leave Oakland, to leave Oakland, but uh, relieved to sort of be in a place where I can, I feel like I can grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So talk about what needs to happen, each of you, a concrete, one or two concrete things. Why don't you start, Sarah? I mean, to me, it's it's hiring and funding more women and minorities. Um, and it's also accepting that the law of averages indicates that people that you've funded or hired um, are bad actors and you need to be really receptive to hearing that and then you need to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I agree um, with hiring um, and promoting uh, everybody, all underrepresented minorities. Um, I feel like we've, <clears throat> we sort of, the tech industry has sort of stopped at the hiring part. Yeah, you talked about that yeah. with me and I talked about that, that there's no development of right. you as Erica Baker. Right, right. Um, I, was, I was recently talking about how, you know, if you had a white guy come in who had nine years at Google and then built your infrastructure, or a critical part of your infrastructure and, uh, was like the mentor to many people at work and also like the person they trusted like if they came to you and said I'm leaving you'd be like no how do we Mm -hmm. get you to stay you know and so like I I think that things might be need a little bit more focus on the inclusion part for Mm -hmm. sure um and that people communicate differently too or they or, or a tolerance of speaking out a tolerance of in some industries speaking out is a great thing right like mine well yeah definitely but um I I know that it is it is difficult for many people to speak up because they have to keep those jobs, right? Mm-hmm. It is difficult for many of the female founders who have been harassed to speak out because they literally have put everything that they have into their companies and taking that risk is too much, you know? I've heard- The suck it up yeah, excuse. They gotta deal with it because they can't risk losing everything, right? And so like you said, having more tolerance of speaking out, more support for those people, less of the community gaslighting like oh that person's such a great guy like you know or is that really the way it happened or is right. it it's a really or, or, or are they do they have an anger thing or, or do, they, do they have anything to substantiate their claim is there any proof is there any evidence i don't believe them without the proof right that, that whole thing right um we just need to do less of that and just believe people when mm-hmm. they speak up um you know it, it reminds me a lot of like when the thing that men say about rape like oh so many women when they, they talk about rape, they're just lying, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, the, the data shows that very no. few people who are reporting rape are lying. Like, mm-hmm. it is a very minute percentage. And so, but we have the same sort of idea, like, oh, people speaking up without proof, they must be lying, right? Right. And it's just, like, stop being that person and just believe the people who are trying to tell you their truth. Right. And trying to make the world and the industry that they work in a little better. Yeah, I think that's critical. I think that part is really quite critical. What happens is everyone starts to question the stories. And mm-hmm. what I found interesting is, I'm just curious what you all thought. The Susan Fowler stuff was believed, mm-hmm. and very, and but Ellen's wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily. But some, I I did. But you know, they they were definitely able in court to make her look questionable. You know what I mean? They definitely use all their skills and all their expensive lawyer techniques to make her look like, well, maybe the story's a little more complex. You know, mm-hmm. the minute you move down that road, it's over. Mm-hmm. It seemed to me, I remember the moment I was like, oh no. 
because they sort of they sort of created enough confusion around mm-hmm. her that it, that it, and it was a complex. And to me, one of the things that the people there were on the Kleiner side, they were like, "Well, it's complex." I said, "Yes, it is complex. It doesn't mean it didn't happen to her. Right. Like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, but they mo- used the complexity to hurt her. Mm-hmm. Um, with Susan, that didn't happen right away. Although recently, I've been getting some. Oh, you know, everything she said in the piece wasn't true. And, and I'm, I just hang up the phone. Um, <laughs> most, if 87% of it was true, I'm down with what she said yeah. kind of thing. Around that believability, you had proof. You know, I had proof. There was still, before other people came forward, there was still sort of a, you know, and what Dave said to me was sort of beautiful on the simplicity of being textbook yeah. sexual harassment. It really was. <laughs> you really can't. <laughs> it was like, whoa. You can't say those two things together, right? right? I don't um, know whether, but even there, I don't then, know whether Destin, you were hit on you. Hire you were hit on you. Oh, like, yeah, well, yeah. if you're saying one and the other together in the same sentence, right, yeah. right, you're sexually harassing people. Yeah. But even then, there was sort of a, why is she waiting till now? Maybe she wanted yeah. it. Um, honestly, Susan Fowler, and, and I, I a joke about this but I mean it you know she's kind of the Nancy Grace victim right mm-hmm. like you have this like beautiful white woman mm-hmm. who has done everything right who's married who's you know the peak of respectability mm-hmm. who comes forward and she's you know believable and she's cute but she's not sexy and she you know and all yeah. this stuff she's not emotional yeah exactly she's like and, and so she did everything right and quite frankly people don't like uber people don't mm-hmm. like uber either because they think they're evil or because they are so jealous yeah. and they're also so angry because they could have worked there or invested or whatever right Right. years ago because it's kind of an asshole company yeah yeah, but that's what I mean right so so people don't like them and so when you have the perfect victim and the perfect villain Mm -hmm. to come together yeah that's a really good point explosive blog post on a Mm -hmm. slow news day Mm -hmm. yeah works works but it did set off other people feeling that they could you have to be the perfect victim or have a text that is so fantastically awful absolutely I think you do. You know, I think it depends. Um, One thing I would say, and and one thing I've seen, and and I'm sure you're a part of this as well, Kara, is that um, reporters, the the people breaking these stories, and I do think media is such an important part of this, um, are getting very good at collecting stories because there is such an influx of stories. Mm -hmm. And so if someone reaches out to you and says, look, I don't have the perfect text, I'm not the perfect victim, but, you know, here's what happened to me about X, Y, Z, odds are you're going to tell that person I don't even need your name because I have 10 other stories about this person. I have to say from a reporting point of view, several of them that we've done, I've used a lot of pressure to get people to, they think I know more than they do. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds crazy, but Mm -hmm. a lot of problems I have is with women not going on the record. Going on the record creates a really great um, situation because they're, they're telling their story and they're telling it with their name. And I know that sounds awful, but when they don't, it... The one we did around the guy at Google who had some issues around sexual harassment. People didn't want to go on the record. Google didn't want to go. Nobody wanted to go on the record, even though it seemed. Anyway, it was a really interesting Mm -hmm. problem because we moved ahead anyway. Yeah. We Mm -hmm. just decided to move ahead because we we felt very good in our reporting. And so, but it took a while to think about that for Mm -hmm. sure. And it was met by the difficulty of not having proof. Right. And then with reporters who have more of like a corporate overhead. Mm -hmm who have to report to more people and, you know. Yeah, I don't have to listen to Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they have to prove to the lawyers that what they're about to say is true and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like, they are very, they are much more cautious. Like, I have an yeah. uh, in, inbox or whatever you call it on Twitter full of DMs from people about all the stuff that they went through. But, I, and, I, and I'm like, are, are you okay talking to a reporter? And they say, yeah. And I talk to, and I pass it on to a reporter. And they're like, well, do they have proof? If they don't have proof, then that's, we can't do anything because mm-hmm. they have to have that evidence. 
Right. Um, and also, I think one of the big challenges right now, I love that people are speaking up to reporters, mm -hmm. but there are so many different reporters working on this um, that I'm worried, like, you know, people came to you, Sarah, but like, if there's a different, a different VC out there who's done this to mm -hmm. five different women, and those five different women go to five different reporters, yep. they don't feel comfortable speaking up because they don't know that anybody else is out there on the record right. about this, right? Absolutely. And, and, and I would love to see sort of, sort of some sort of like ProPublica style like investigation happen where like reporters team up on this because it's, it's you know, having that, uh, having the group around you, having, not being the only voice to speak up and be on the record Creates is empowering. 100%. Yeah. That, that's I, I think there's something to be said for, for empowering women are empowering the victims to speak up to somebody, right? Whether it's somebody like Erica and I who are kind of getting uh, unsolicited <laughs> a flood of these things, right? Or right. somebody like you, Kara, or a different reporter. Because once you speak up, and as soon as you say the words off the record, right? Any reporter that you're talking to who writes for a major publication, they're going to respect that. And you mm -hmm. tell them your story. It becomes a data point. And it mm -hmm. might not, I mean, right. my story happened in 2014. Cheryl's right. happened in 2014. But I also know women who you know, within the past three, six months have been sexually assaulted by Dave, right? And so once you start laying that groundwork of data points, it might not happen as quickly as you want. Right. But without those data I points, agree. it can't happen. I agree. All right. Final question. Do you feel good now about what's happening or do you feel, are you still a realist, Erica? Um... I'm still a realist, but I also still have hope. I've always, if I didn't have hope for this industry, I would have left a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I still have some hope, um, and I have a little bit more hope right now than I did before, um, because having all these voices, having all the people speaking up, is is good. In the way Sarah said, like, turning, so you're not out there alone. Yeah, and the sunlight, like, is the best disinfectant. And like, if we have the the light shining down, we can maybe get some of these bad actors out of the industry. And then others feel repercussions for certain behaviors, which right. is interesting. Because one thing that I think was notable for me is that uh, I think I said this recently on a, on something where every woman has a story. Mm -hmm. A lot of the good men didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. That's to me is right. the good men don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, and I, there are a lot of, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of very decent, hardworking men. And they were, I, I got so many, I'm so surprised. Yeah. yeah. I'm so, so surprised. shocked. He's such a good guy. I, I know. And you're sort of like, and on some level, it's like, well, whose fault is that? Yours, the person who's not telling the story? What, where, Where is the fault? There is no fault. They don't feel, people don't feel safe talking to those good guys, which right. means kind of like question how good you actually are. Like, yeah. have you proven that you're a good guy? Like, right. have you proven stood that up. you're, yeah, have, have you stood up and, and said something without being prompted, without someone saying, hey, please speak up for me? Mm -hmm. Have you just done that on your own? Right. Um, I think that there, there are a number of the, the people out there who feel, who, who are, have made themselves uh, appear to be safe to be spoken to. Right. Um, Mark Hedlund is a major one. You know, I, I tell Mark anything. He knows like all the stuff that mm -hmm. goes on in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a few out there who are just like mm -hmm. safe to talk to in that way. Right. Because they stand up and they, they Do say things. Right. Yeah. And like, right. yeah, it's just be that person who doesn't need to be prompted to speak up and right. to, to advocate for women and people of color, to hire women and people of color, to promote us. Absolutely. To fund us. Final word. Yeah. It, fund women and minorities if you're not no matter how well-seeming you are no matter how you know great you think you are as an ally ally you're not mm -hmm. doing the work mm -hmm. um and if you're not doing the work it's not going to get better right excellent well cool. it, let's hope it does <laughs> it'll get better i know I everyone likes to end on a feeling of home i'm not very hopeful but that's <laughs> <laughs>
But, you know, because it's been, it, it, it feels better than before. I'll definitely say that. But at the same time, I feel like they'll go right back to their... I don't think it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's we're removing a layer of plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope it gets better. Yeah. yeah. Well, on that note, Sarah, thank you so much for coming. Thank and you. By the way, what you did was very brave, even though you don't think thank so. You. And you know what I think of you. Yeah. Thanks, Pain in the ass. You're a troublemaker. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like your trouble. That's, yeah. I think that's a compliment it's for good me. Trouble. It's good, good trouble. It's good trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for coming in. It was great talking to you both. Thank if you. you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with Facebook CEO Sheryl Sandberg, LinkedIn founder Reed Hoffman, and Code 2040 CEO Laura Weidman-Powers, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Two Embarrassed Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of our Recode live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thanks to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.